0: Hey folks, this is another special edition of Prognosis Ohio, addressing the coronavirus pandemic. I'm Dan Skinner. All of us have had to adjust to Ohio's stay-at-home orders, and though it's necessary from a public health perspective, that doesn't mean it's easy. 3.3 million Americans so far have filed unemployment, and that's probably just the beginning. People are hurting and scared, though some are more vulnerable than others, with low-wage workers in the service industry, for example, in a much more precarious situation certainly than privileged academics like me. Though I feel tested by my own situation, I try to keep it in perspective. I went to the office one last time this weekend just to get the remaining things I need to keep doing my job for the next few weeks or even months. But meanwhile, healthcare professionals, including those that support them, cleaning the hospitals and handling logistics, continue to do the hard work of preparing for a surge of COVID patients here in Ohio. Next week, we'll be talking to an emergency physician on those front lines. But this week, I checked in with two future physicians to see how they're processing the present moment and how this moment is both causing them to reflect on their chosen profession, which they'll be entering in just a year or so, as well as what they're thinking about as they watch their future colleagues prepare for the surge and advocate for the resources that they need. As always before turning to our guests, I'd like to remind you to please subscribe to Prognosis Ohio wherever you get your podcasts and consider following us on Twitter at, at @PrognosisOhio, where we continue to tweet and retweet out up-to-date announcements from the state and other official entities about the coronavirus situation. You can also email us at prognosisohio at gmail.com. I should also mention that as we continue to redouble our efforts during this public health crisis, please don't hesitate to reach out if you or someone you know has a story to tell or a perspective to share that you think would benefit our listeners across Ohio. I should also mention that our guests today mentioned several ongoing efforts to support those healthcare and other professionals who are working hard to keep us safe, often under really difficult conditions. I'll be linking to those in the show notes posted at wcbe.org under the podcast experience tab. Okay, now to our guests. Wendy Oslock is a third-year medical student at Ohio State University, from which she'll also receive her MBA this semester. She plans to practice general surgery when she graduates. David Strahan is a third-year medical student at Ohio University, where I teach, I should mention, who also holds a master's in education degree from Loyola Marymount University. David hopes to practice family medicine when he graduates. Okay, folks, well, I hope you enjoy my conversation with David and Wendy. Well, David and Wendy, thanks so much for uh, taking some time to talk with me a little bit about med school life at this uh, really historic moment in Ohio's healthcare life. Really appreciate you being here.
1: Thank you for having us.
2: Thanks for having
0: us. I want to start with something very general. I just want to ask um, each of you to maybe tell listeners how you're doing and also maybe give us a sense of how you sense your colleagues are doing uh, at your medical schools. Um, Wendy, maybe we'll start with you.
1: Uh, Doing good, all things considered. You know, med students are home right now. At most med schools, we're not allowed to be on service. So Many of us that were on our clinical years and in the hospital are home, kind of twiddling our thumbs with this, at least for me, restless energy of both being torn about wanting to help and wanting to do something, but also realizing there's not much we can do at our current level and wanting to be yeah. cognizant of the limitations in personal protective equipment and obviously the infectious risk for ourselves. And so, Trying to channel my time into being productive, though, I think med students, like many people who are working from home now, are struggling to make that transition as effectively as they would hope.
0: And David, why don't you give us a sense of you know where you're at right now? How is, how's life? And how, how do you think your uh, colleagues are, are doing as well?
2: Yeah, doing all right. Um, really taking things day by day. But definitely uncertainty moving forward with what clinical education will look like given that we have some time off right now, we're unsure when we'll be able to be put back on service. So echo that sentiment that Wendy mentioned of having that restless energy we want to help out. we don't know how to effectively help out exactly at this juncture but but very willing yeah. right we, we want to be we want to be in the game we want to be on the front lines but we know we can't at this moment.
0: yeah and just so listeners know uh, who may not know so third year medical students, in particular, um, third and fourth year medical students um, tend to be on clinical rotation. So as opposed to work being done in the classrooms, even though classrooms are largely shut down right now and have moved online at most schools, it, we really can't have students in clinical spaces as students. They were told to not report for um, a time period that we don't get. know, right? So um, that raises issues just about the, the, the use of those spaces, but also how our students are going to get training during this time and kind of continue to advance their education, because we also need to retain the pipeline of new physicians coming out to address whatever comes next.
1: Yeah, totally. Because from a kind of selfish standpoint, you know, entering, we're both entering our fourth year and are supposed to be doing our sub-internships, applying to residency in the fall and then graduating in the spring. And at least for OSU, there's already been conversations about delaying our first fourth year rotation. And when you look at some of the graphs for, you know, when this peak will occur and how long it'll last, you wonder how this is going to impact our education.
0: Yeah, there's also conversations on the other end of trying to shorten some of the fourth year work to get more students into the pipeline to become physicians that we may need to deal with the aftermath of the COVID pandemic.
1: Totally. NYU just did that, where they just hired on their fourth years, who at this point have met all the requirements. They're basically just waiting to move and hired them on, though there's been some pushback that a brand new med student or brand new intern takes a lot of training to get up to speed. And that would be then fall on the shoulders of the folks who are already working now potentially more than 80 hours because they've also raised the duty hour restrictions in New York.
0: So I wonder if you could tell me a little bit about some of the things that you and your colleagues talk about during this time. I mean, I know there's a lot of people home and that means sharing, you know, pictures of cats and (laughs) um, just trying to sort of remain human through this, which is something that everybody is doing their best to do while we're, you know, staying at home or, um, you know, trying to support those who are doing the frontline work. Um, What are some of the themes that you hear students
2: processing in Ohio right now? As you said, definitely lots of sharing of photos of personal pets, cats and dogs, just to keep spirits uplifted and, Mm -hmm. and just trying to maintain camaraderie again with, with our med student class. Um, but yeah, I mean, lots of discussions about the things that Wendy mentioned about, you know, keeping on track with fourth year, ensuring that we're adequately prepared for residency. Um, we're going to be needing residents come 2021 and we got to get the right preparation to be at our best during our intern year. Definitely lots of discussions about how we can step up from where we're at and help out, whether that be volunteering in the community. There are just great needs everywhere uh, as so many of our neighbors have been laid off. Mm -hmm. Um, So just so many ways to help out right now in the community and really, trying to find ways to help out the the doctors, nurses, physicians' assistants we've we've come to know so well throughout this year, figure out how we can safely really help them out at this point.
0: Is that similar to what you're hearing, Wendy?
1: Yeah, and I'm, I was curious. I was going to ask David. I know at OSU we've coordinated some volunteer opportunities where we offer childcare for healthcare workers, run errands, animal care kind of supporting their clinical work is and I know that's something that's happening nationally at different schools and
2: that's different great
1: pockets. is that happening at OU
2: yeah so I saw that uh, definitely inspired a, a few of us I oh, were really excited to see what you all were doing and we're trying to put together something similar at OU right now awesome
0: yeah I think every school is scrambling I mean at, at OU uh, we, you know, faculty have been spending the last three weeks just trying to figure out how to move an entire yeah. curriculum online within just a few weeks, which is, you know, uh, not not an easy thing to do. And I know there are some schools that, um, you know, the students are really just kind of waiting to hear what's next. So, you know, schools are operating at their different pace. Um, they have different capacities and all of that. But each school also has to develop a policy that... Um, you know works I mean, there's you know any number of considerations working with partners like you know OSU has the Wexner Medical Center our clinical training is all out in the community and all these different kinds of hospital yeah. systems so it's logistically pretty complicated as well
1: and one thing they've told us in terms of helping with childcare particularly is to try to focus that those efforts on one household so it can be a group of roommates providing that childcare hmm. but in the spirit of social distancing, wanting to keep your social circle as limited as you can. And so, you know, David, if it was you and your roommates offering childcare for one, you know, family, that would make sense because you are all essentially in a, in a household, but not trying to have a different person come in every day and, um, you know, potentially spreading infection.
0: wonder if we can turn to, you know, some of the big issues that people are talking about in terms of the healthcare professionals that are operating as physicians, as nurses, as mm-hmm. PAs, you know, who are out there in um, ICUs and hospitals generally. How, how are you all processing the preparation for this? So if I were a physician or if I were an aspiring physician, you know, looking at a year or two of becoming, um, you know, being out there, I would definitely be, you know, reflecting on this moment and saying, this is how they support Mm -hmm. physicians or not. This is what the federal preparation was or the state preparation. And then also here in Ohio, a lot of people have talked about a pretty swift, strong response from our governor and our director of health. So there's a lot to be proud of in Ohio Mm -hmm. specifically, but how are you processing that as you think about you being one of those people in a year or two?
1: I think this is a kind of prime interview information and gives you a lot of insight into the true culture of a program. You know, some cultures have been posting. If you have to take time off to quarantine, you have to use your paid time off. And as a resident, you get four weeks of Mm -hmm. off time in a year. So that says a lot about the culture of that program. But in my mind, it's been a little bit frustrating to see the lack of coordination in a lot of ways between specialties, between training levels. So, I haven't seen a lot of coordination between the med students, the residents, the advanced practice providers looking at even within, I'm interested in surgery, even within surgery across the the different fields within surgery to develop a pool of a workforce to to pull from and have a back bench for whenever folks do get exposed and need to be home for two weeks. How are we coordinating across all of these positions to have a really concerted effort.
0: Yeah. And when you look at things like Italy and the situation there, you know, uh, it's really disconcerting. I think I, the numbers I saw this morning were about 18% of patients with COVID in Ohio right now are clinicians of various sorts. Wow. So, you know, wow. we, are, we are starting to see <laughs> that kind of the system collapsing on itself. Of course, New York is in a more, more of a dire situation, but, New, you know, we might, that might be where we will be in a few weeks. So, watching how we care for people internally is something we really need to be concerned about right now.
1: And that really brings up the kind of geographic piece as well. With there, are, While some hospitals are already getting swamped like New York, there are other hospitals that have canceled all their elective cases and are preparing, You know, but do, haven't seen a surge yet. And so they're kind of twiddling their thumbs and they have ventilators that aren't being used. And I don't feel like we've seen this national coordination in a number of ways wow. to allow, you know, that workforce move to get nurses and physicians from one place that's slow to one mm-hmm. place that's surging, and then having them rotate back, which wouldn't only fill in that workforce and supply gap, but would also bring knowledge into a place that hasn't seen a surge yet, and be able to learn from that experience. And I think that lack of coordination and kind of helping your neighbor hospital or state out that we haven't seen has been you know, very concerning for where we'll be in a few months.
2: Absolutely. Yeah, Wendy, I like, I like your point about med students being very aware of what we're seeing with residency programs and hospital systems right now. I think that's a very good question that I'm gonna hold on to when I <laughs> begin to interview with residency programs is how did you mm-hmm. respond during the COVID-19 pandemic? how did teamwork look here? What was the culture like? How was the response? How Mm -hmm. was preparedness? How did you look out for everybody? Yeah. Even
0: if you think about, you know, where we are right now, by the time you both go for residency and you interview, you should be able to ask the question of what was the response? What have you learned from this? You know, what, what's changed? What new systems Mm -hmm. are you putting in place? Uh, Because if we don't learn from this pandemic, then, There's a a lot of people died and suffered in vain. And um, hopefully that can be one thing we can take from it.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully. Another another thought just about how I think about entering this workforce. Um, It's been very, very disappointing to see the lack of personal protective Mm -hmm. equipment that we see in New York, all the places that are getting hard hit and just to not see a strong unified response um, from the federal government to produce more because really every state's asking for more. So many countries are asking for more. Mm-hmm. This really drives me crazy.
0: So as a political scientist, uh, you know, I, I have studied American responses to things and the way we sort of leverage you know, American uh, culture, political culture, something like that. You know, you hear, for example, about um, you know, people working really long hours and we get a thank you for your service. Um, you know, instead of a we need to adjust people's hours, um, we don't want to just chalk that up to, oh, everybody works so hard and this is so American, but at the, we we can thank people while also saying we need to make sure this never happens again. The same is true with the masks. There are all these things going on in social media of people saying, oh, look at all the people got their sewing equipment out and they're making masks for hospitals, right? Thank you for doing that. But this is also a symptom Mm -hmm. of a failure. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And one of the, I'm in part of a group called the Physician Action Network, and it's a group of kind of politically involved physicians. And one thing we were talking about at our meeting a few days ago was just how this really highlights the lack of structure for our healthcare system and the current focus yeah. on, on profit, to be quite frank, instead of being a safety net and being a health service and how kind of our insurance structure influences that and does it lead to it wanting to be prepared for these events that we no, are likely to happen at some point even though this pandemic is is scary and feels surprising to many common folks if you study you know microbiology and the interaction between humans and animals or yeah you realize this is likely to happen at some point so why weren't we prepared and i think a focus not on public health not on preparation not on caring for the community but rather on being profitable is definitely a underlying factor
0: So a lot of people have noted, you know, when you study the development of medical education in the U.S., that the U.S., probably more than most industrialized nations, has really separated public health and clinical training or medical training and public health. We have different colleges for them at Ohio University, for example, Um, although there's more and more talk about the need for thinking Mm -hmm. across these lines. I guess I just wonder, and I'm accepting you both because I happen to know that both of you are really engaged in public health, but do you think that there's a way in which this moment, I mean, are students paying attention to that kind of divide? And, and, and is it possible that your cohort might be the first cohort in a while uh, to come out of this with more of a public health mindedness than, let's say,
2: um, some previous uh, cohorts? I truly hope so. Um yeah, I think I, I was not aware of the divide really between public health and clinical practice until this pandemic hit. Um, some of the things that I, some of the conversations I saw in public health circles compared to clini- clinical circles um, was just alarming early on uh, to see the divide. And so, I mean, if, if we don't learn from this that we need to all be more on the same page and coordinate better, then I really don't know what will bring us together more.
1: I feel like at least med students that I'm connected with here in Columbus, but also nationally, I think more of us are more socially aware. I'm not, I'm assuming more than previous generations, just in terms of thinking about social determinants of health and realizing how much things outside of the hospital, outside of patient-physician interaction really impact our patient outcomes, whether it's access to a grocery store, access to refrigeration for insulin, access to transportation, which gets beyond that patient and more into that public health sphere. And so I think there was already this openness from many of my colleagues. And I think this really hammers at home how acute that connection can be
0: what do you want people to know about uh, the context that you're in um, as you become physicians? But also, what do you want people to do maybe right now to support your future colleagues who are in emergency departments, in ICUs, in various contexts right now trying to address this pandemic?
1: I guess for me, the long-term answer is more apparent than the short-term answer. For the long-term, we need more physicians. We've been talking about a physician shortage for almost two decades at this point, And there has not been robust change. Funding for residencies has been frozen since 1997 and has not increased. That's tied to okay. Medicare funding. And we have med students that go unmatched each year, there are international medical graduates who would love to come here for residency. If we expanded residency training funding, we could expand the physician pipeline. And that would allow us to have more capacity for when issues like this occur, like this pandemic, we are seeing our lack of capacity and how much of a limitation that is, not just thinking about physician burnout, physician work-life balance, not working 80-hour weeks, which are noble reasons in and of themselves but even just from a public health standpoint we need more capacity for our physicians so that they can work 60 hours a week and then when a pandemic happens they can bump it up to 80 instead of working 80 hours a week and then trying to bump it up to 100 which is just not realistic for any lengthy period of time and so that's really the long-term ask is ask your elected officials advocate yourself for expanding that Medicare bucket of funding that provides residency training because the Balanced Budget Act of 1997 really limited the number of residents we can train each year. And it's just has limited yeah. the pipeline expansion.
0: So David, Wendy is just emphasized the importance of people maybe uh, getting behind and reaching out even to representatives and others about residency slots to kind of really get the workforce in shape. What would you like to see in terms of action from people uh, at this moment and maybe a little bit more in the long view?
2: At this moment, we absolutely need more personal protective Mm -hmm. gear for our frontline healthcare workers. Um, So essential to protect their own health, their family's health, and their patients' health. Currently, the CDC has even offered some recommendations that healthcare providers can use bandanas if they're out of personal protective equipment, right. which is just insane. God bless America. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, me, and, me and some of my fellow students at OUHCOM, we've been really trying to rally the student body to make calls to the representatives to call upon Trump to invoke the Defense Production Act so that we can get more PPE around the country. PPE being personal protective equipment, right? Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Um, so I would just really ask that all listeners take those five minutes to make those calls. It's really easy on my social media. I made a video of me making those calls just to show how simple it can really be. Um, so I'd really encourage everyone to make those calls,
0: I'll also mention I will be linking to those items and uh, providing some information in the show notes for this episode. So we'll make sure that people have the links and they can get to your social media and other
2: resources as well. Awesome. Awesome. Um, I hope this answers your earlier question, but where my mind was going uh, earlier was just the need for our country to listen to experts again, Um, whether it be climate change, public health, all those things, we should be listening to the direct source um, hearing their insight, what their plan is. I was listening in on a CDC call yesterday and they were talking about one of the unique challenges that we have and for our country uh, will be the lack of centralized um, messaging. Basically, we're getting about social distancing. We're hearing a lot of different messaging from different media outlets, from different politicians. And it's going to be really hard to make a long commitment to social distancing when we have so many different voices. And so really what is important now is that we listen to the scientists, the doctors uh, to really make these judgment calls uh, to really help us overcome the pandemic that we're facing currently.
0: Not to take your very serious point and um, add some levity, but I will, (laughs) which is... You know, uh, there, there's a easy comment to be made here, which is, hey, while we're uh, in the mood for listening to the CDC, too, we should start thinking about vaccination. We should start thinking about prevention in general. Like, you know, if there's something good to come out of this, we might start taking that more seriously in general, which would really improve the entire health of our society. Absolutely. Yeah, you, all of a sudden you have all these people who are saying, we need a vaccine like tomorrow. And meanwhile, you just want to ask them, like, did you get the ones we already had? Because, you know... Uh-huh. Well, David and Wendy, I just want to thank you for taking some time to talk about um, the state of things in your lives. Like everybody else's lives right now, um, our lives are different. This is a moment for all hands on deck. And I really appreciate that you've been so involved in this process. Um, I appreciate your time, but also I'm looking forward to you all being physicians out there because um, you're going to be great ones. So thanks. Thank you. Thanks so much for having us. Prognosis Ohio was hosted by me, Dan Skinner, and produced by me and Mark France. You can find the show notes for this episode on WCBE's webpage at wcbe.org under the podcast experience tab. You can also subscribe to Prognosis Ohio on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and elsewhere. You can also follow us on Twitter at at prognosisohio, especially for tweets and retweets we're putting out with the latest information from state public health and other officials. As always, we encourage you to email us your suggestions and your feedback at prognosisohio at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening and please be well, friends.